You are listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 553 for April 14th, 2021. On today's show, saxophonist Alexa Tarantino. I am back in State College, Pennsylvania. I was down in Alabama for about a week, but decided that during this time when I'm kind of looking around for radio jobs, I would rather be where my kids are than be anywhere else. So yesterday I drove, after being stranded in Georgia for a few days, uh, I got my car fixed yesterday and drove straight through from Georgia to Pennsylvania in one epic 14-hour day and uh, crashed immediately, got some good sleep in a shower, and am feeling like a new man. I'm able to do these things and to keep this show going while I'm on the road because people like you become members. Go to thejazzsession.com slash join. For 5 or $10 a month, become a member. You'll get bonus episodes and all kinds of cool stuff, and you can do that right now. Thanks. Alexa Tarantino's new album is called Firefly. Tarantino, welcome to the Jazz Session. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure. We are here to talk about a lot of things because you are involved in a lot of things. But let's start in the most obvious place, which is uh, your new album called Firefly, which is on Positone Records. Uh, It's really wonderful. And uh, one of the things I think that just makes it so strong is the band you've put together on this album and just how, uh, you know, kind of sympathetic to your ideas they all are. So can we kind of start there? And and before we dig into the album itself, just uh, highlight who's playing on it with you. Absolutely. So it it came together in a very interesting fashion because it was recorded during COVID, during the lockdown. And so the way that it worked with Positone was that they had the opportunity, they had the studio that we usually use and the engineer, um, but for COVID safety reasons, the band was the bands for the records they were working with um, during the season were kind of fixed, meaning like it was going to be kind of the same band backing different leaders throughout their recordings for this this batch of records. So I'm super thankful that Mark 
Mark and Nick, um, you know, put together an amazing group and a lot of them I had recorded with already. So you're listening to Ben Gillis on Vibes and Art Hirahara on piano, who I had recorded with previously. Boris Kozlov on bass, who I had worked and recorded with previously. And then Rudy Royston on drums, who um, would have been there regardless as, as the person <laughs> who's been on the, the past two records of mine. So it was and all really, really great guys and great musicians. So uh, it, it really came together beautifully. That's so interesting that there was a Positone bubble because, um, you know, when I saw, for example, Rudy's name on the record and having heard all of the previous stuff, uh, I thought, oh, well, if, you know, obviously this looks like a band that Alexa put together because, you know, there's familiar faces in it. Um, but that's so interesting that it just worked out that people you had already worked with were going to end up on this record. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think Mark and I knew that we were going to do something. And so uh, I'm very appreciative that that yeah, it worked out in my favor. Given that interesting bubble situation, what was the actual recording process itself like? Did you have uh, too many opportunities to, you know, normally you might tour a repertoire for a while and then go into the studio after you've been on the road, that kind of thing. Uh, did you have opportunities to work with the band either virtually or in person? We actually had one Zoom talk through rehearsal, just sort of outlining like the concept of the tunes that I wrote and the general vibe. Um, but other than that, no, <laughs> we went right into the studio. Actually, it was a very different experience. Um, I wrote all the music in the in the couple months during the summer leading up to it, and we just went for it. And we had two days of recording. Usually, I have one day of recording, so this this time we had two days. So we were able to, you know, take a few moments to like actually read through the tune and um, get the vibe and highlight any, you know different spots that needed to be looked at. So yeah, it was a very different, different, uh, pattern. Yeah. And as you mentioned, it's all original music. So, I mean, it's not just a, it's not just a blowing session, you know, a, a, some familiar heads and then, you know, we all just improvise. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is played tightly together and, you know, there are ensemble passages. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like what you just described, uh, which I guess is a testament to the people who are on the record. Yeah, for sure. Right. So um, it was definitely it was a little nerve wracking also just personally, because, you know, having several months off of performing, um, it was kind of like, all right, well, now we're going to go in and lay it all on tape after being, um, you know, off the, the scene for a little while. Um, but I think that actually fueled a certain type of energy where we were all just so happy to be there. And there was just an adrenaline in terms of like making it all happen and kind of letting out all the pent up energy.
talk about the music. Uh, you mentioned writing it uh, over several months during lockdown. Would you say there's any kind of uh, any thematic thread or uh, some kind of conceptual idea that you had going into the record where the repertoire is concerned? Yeah, for sure. So the record actually features, there's a sort of a six part suite of music um, throughout. And then there are some other tunes sprinkled in like a couple uh, ballads and things like that, that are not original, but the overall concept of that suite, the title of it is a moment in time and it's highlighting basically a day in, in an artist's life, like in lockdown. So like all the different facets of a day, like we all have like morning and afternoon and evening and night, but with a couple other things sprinkled in there. And basically the concept is, um, you know, the, the, the work and like the personality and the different characters that are at play when you are, uh, I guess, a creative or, you know, an artist and different facets of, your personality and your role and responsibility. So um, it was sort of like a snapshot of a day basically. And I kind of was just like taking notes and journaling for a while in terms of like how I was feeling and what, you know, what, if I was feeling inspired or not or what, and the types of pressures I was feeling like all those types of things and, and talking with other people as well. Um, But yeah, it was a really interesting and sort of cathartic project to write that music. To whatever degree you're able to do this, can you tell me what a typical day in your life looks like? And I know the word typical probably has no meaning these days, but to the best of your ability. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I mean, I guess the typical day in in, in COVID is um, kind of waking up and meditating and uh, doing the coffee thing. And then I kind of get right into... Uh, computer stuff like generally it seems like the emails and the collaborations and all that stuff have just kind of piled up um, like in the in the inbox working out different things like that and and various interviews and so those things typically happen in the morning um, and then I do quite a bit of teaching virtually whether it's private lessons or different guest master classes for high schools, colleges, universities, or different programs. And so that's usually the afternoon. Um, I also have like a, a new sort of virtual studio, jazz studio that I've started, um, a bit of a, like a membership platform. And so that's something I spend quite a bit of time keeping rolling. And other than that, it'll be, you know, recording various educational videos or performance videos or recordings for people, whether I'm like overdubbing with a certain college big band or somebody's making a virtual project. Um, and so then that kind of takes you through the evening. And then at night I may have some type of live stream thing, maybe like once a week. Um, for a while I was doing weekly concerts with my fiance, Stephen Feisty. Um, we kind of took a break from that cause we're both releasing records this coming season. And then, yeah, a little bit of Netflix, a little bit of exercise. That's pretty much it. I mean, that sounded kind of overwhelming as you described it. And I don't find that surprising because, I mean, having followed you on uh, social media, particularly Instagram for years now, uh, your, you know, your Instagram, like you're one of the rare people I've ever seen who 
like literally puts their calendar on Instagram with, you know, here are the 17 <laughs> things that are happening this week. And I always look, it just makes me tired following you, let alone imagining actually having to do all of the, the things that you do. So I don't find what you just laid out that surprising, I have to say. That's <laughs> hilarious. talk about the uh, the education piece of your life, because it is a big part of what you do, um, whether it's working through, you know, kind of formal institutions like, you know, Jazz at Lincoln Center or doing the stuff that you're running yourself, like this new studio um, that you just mentioned. Can you talk about why that's important to you and kind of what you feel like your role is? Because, I mean, you're still, I think it would be fair to say, you know, you're not a, a jazz elder yet, yet you're still quite, right. you know, quite early in your own career, but you have managed to kind of carve a real space for yourself in this education area. So I'm just curious about that. Sure. Thanks for asking. Education has always been a huge part of, you know, what the, the core of, of what is meaningful to me in this music. I grew up with really incredible teachers and mentors um, and so many of them I have been able to continue to learn from. Sherry Miracle with the Diva Jazz Orchestra, for example, was somebody that I saw perform when I was in like grade school, you know, high school, kind of checking it out. And then she sort of picked me up and brought me into Diva. And those were some of my first touring experiences. Wynton Marsalis has been an incredible mentor. So uh, I guess I just feel like as a as a woman in jazz particularly I, I want to help young women in whatever way I can for them to feel comfortable and that they can take a seat at the table in whatever way they are comfortable with but also just you know just as a human no no gender uh, specificity needed um, I just really enjoy helping people to grow to build their talents to find a way to to create a life in music. There are so many different avenues, so many different ways to do it. And I think when you're coming up in high school or college and in your, you know, in today's world, it can be very overwhelming to figure out what you're going to do. And so to help people, whether it's like honing their performance skills or their business skills or their teaching skills, I guess I've just really made it a mission to be well-rounded, try to be well-rounded in that way and then inspire others to do the same. Given everything that you're up to these days, um, I mean, in one way, when you describe it, it sounds like uh, it's a life in which music is 
always going on. But just having spent enough time kind of running my own small enterprise, I know that actually, even though it seems like you're always involved with the creative side, a lot of the time you're doing the other side, the administrative side. So how do you make sure that you make space to keep pushing yourself and to keep growing as a musician? Yeah, that's a, that's something I've been struggling with in COVID, to be honest. It's difficult because there's so much happening in the world with social media and different platforms and different initiatives. So you're constantly trying to stay kind of on the cutting edge or on the front of whatever the new thing is. Um, and so I guess like to that part of me, I have to sometimes say like, it's okay, like chill out. Like you don't have to be totally at the forefront if it means like you're missing out on some of that time like playing or just appreciating the music you know get off the computer screen and just enjoy that time so I think you know the weekly concerts throughout quarantine were a really good way for me to just ensure that I had that um, that required you know like some preparation through the week and it helped keep me in shape and just like keep the creative juices flowing having a record come out each year is another example. Like, I guess I, it's as silly as it sounds like I try to program <laughs> these creative projects for myself so that, so that I just know that it's going to happen and it has to happen. And I am keeping myself through that cycle of like having a creative project in process. And then just personally, I mean, my students are super inspiring to me too. And, and when I'm working with them, I have to be, you know, I have to maintain my level as well to, to be able to play for them and play with them. So um, it's, it's equally as fulfilling, you know, for me as a recipient of their creative energy that kind of keeps me, keeps me inspired to practice and play throughout the administrative stuff. Let's take a quick break from the episode to remind you about membership. This show exists because people become members. It's been going on for 14 years now. And to keep it going for many more years into the future, I need your help. Go to thejazzsession.com slash join for five bucks a month. In addition to the main show every week, you also get the track of the week each week. That's where an artist or sometimes me talks about either a track from their new album, if it's an artist, or one of my favorite tracks, if it's me. You get that each week, plus early access to the episodes and more. At the $10 level, you get all of that, plus a bonus monthly grab bag episode, which can be extra interview clips, it can be another guest, it could be just about anything. So join today and help keep this show going at thejazzsession.com slash join. Now back to the episode. of students come to you who who finds their way to you as a teacher um it depends i mean sometimes i have a couple like you know beginner students like people maybe uh 
young students or that are just kind of starting out. Um, I do a little bit of work for a private school uh, in here in New York. Um, but for the most part, it's like advanced high school and college or adult students that are, that are, you know, serious about jazz and improvisation and woodwind doubling and getting their stuff together, you know, uh, getting ready to come to New York or trying to apply for schools like Manhattan School of Music and Juilliard or things like that. I'm glad you mentioned woodwind doubling because, uh, well, doubling is a deceptive word because, like, for example, in your case, it's not just two things that, that you play. Um, and if anybody who listens, you know, to the uh, the new record will immediately become aware of that. And that's the same on your previous work uh, and in your live work. Um, has that always been important to you to, to have a bunch of different instruments in your arsenal? Or did someone say to you early on, you know, hey, if you want to do this for a living it's a great idea to play more than one thing. Yeah. So my teacher in high school at Hall High School in West Hartford, Connecticut, his name was John Mastriani and uh, actually had another teacher there, Haig Shiverdian as well. And they both were saxophonists and woodwind players and they impressed upon us the importance of, of doubling. And this, this high school, you know, was, we, you know, we went to essentially Ellington at Jazz Lincoln Center. We, entered all sorts of competitions and festivals and we were really getting into, you know, playing like some Maria Schneider charts, very like tons of Ellington charts, like just tons of different things that really required that skill. And so that became something, basically I was introduced to it as something that was important if I wanted to create a career in the field, but then I fell in love with it too. And so I would play, you know, flute and the freshman concert band and clarinet in the symphonic band and then go to jazz band with my saxophone. So it became a very, um, just a very like full woodwind uh, experience. And I'm really glad that I did that because now that I have sort of transferred it away from just the typical like woodwind doubling idea. And I try to incorporate these instruments more in a creative uh, interpretation, like writing a piece for alto flute, writing a piece for regular flute or whatever it is. Um, it's really allowed me to express different, I think different sides of my improvisational voice and compositional voice, uh, in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. You really took the words right out of my mouth because it's doubling, I think is often thought of as like a hired gun kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm mostly here to play saxophone, but there's a flute part and I can do that part too. Um, but whereas in your case, as you just said, it's much more expansive than that. I mean, you on, you know, on this record, Firefly and previous records, you have let other instruments than the saxophone come to the front as the lead instrument in composition. So it's not it's not just like you're part of somebody's big band and you can play three different things. You do it in in your own work as a as a writer and a you know creative artist.
as you are working with students, are you kind of impressing upon them that same idea, or are most of the people you're working with kind of already there in terms of their thoughts about a career in music? So a lot of the people that I'm working with were kind of, they're just starting on their doubling journey. Um, and so we're kind of getting the fundamentals down on those instruments. And I think for the most part, you know, their goals are to be able to, to play in, you know, various big band chairs and, and hold down those doubles um, and maybe take it to a, to a larger level, you know, by featuring flute or featured on clarinet. But I think, for the most part, it's, uh, you know, people want to do it because they, they know that if they come to New York and they can do all those things, like it will help make them a better candidate for various, various work. I want to talk about uh, some of the the uh, kind of events that you've been part of and particularly one that you founded. I, th- I think I'm right to say that we are. Um, both New Englanders and have both also spent a fair amount of time in Rochester. I lived there for years and ran the jazz station that was there and you went to Eastman Uh, and I'm from Massachusetts. And uh, are you from Connecticut or did you just go to high school there? Uh, from Connecticut. And then, yeah, my family's, uh, in the Boston area as well. Gotcha. Um, so I, that kind of leads into the Rockport jazz workshop, which is in Rockport, Mass. Um, uh, which is a fabulous place and uh, Rockport it is. I've never been to the jazz workshop, but I really dig Rockport. Um, <laughs> will you talk about founding the jazz workshop there and, and what it's about? Sure. Yeah. So I, I started that program in 2014. It was my, maybe my last or my second to last year in Rochester as a student. And it was just a, I, I had this dream of starting a jazz camp. I had had amazing jazz camp experiences as a, as a high school, middle and high schooler. And I just wanted to try to bring that to the Rockport community, which is where my family was at the time and um, had been for most of my childhood. So it was a very special place to me. And they had recently built an amazing music venue and started some classical programming. And I just, I noticed that there wasn't so much jazz or jazz education and so I kind of knocked on the door and um yeah seven years later we've been we've been running I mean we we obviously didn't weren't able to meet during COVID but um we have grown from serving you know seven students in our first year to about 120 students over the course of two weeks every summer so it's been a real blast and I've been able to bring amazing people in that have been mentors to me uh, Jimmy Green, Cherry Miracle, Lauren Sevian, Ulysses Owens Jr., um, members of the Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra. So it's just been really a great experience. And the students, are, they're still uh, like secondary school students, still in teenage years. Uh, so they're getting kind of exposed to professionals at that early stage, which is pretty amazing. Right. Yeah, it's actually we we t- we have um, fifth graders, so, so ages 10 to 18. So basically fifth through 12th grade. That's fabulous. And impressive that it's, I mean, grown so much. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty huge change from seven to 120 ish, uh, in a really (laughs) pretty short period of time. When you think about it, I mean, things like Litchfield have been running for a million years. Uh, so that's a pretty good run for seven years. Yeah. Thank you. I'm hoping, hoping for even more. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) 
Um, you mentioned earlier the uh, Sherry Miracle and the Diva Jazz Orchestra. Are there, uh, as kind of one of your, you know, kind of early formative experiences, when you when you think back uh, as you were coming up as a professional, are there some other kind of formative uh, groups or people you worked with that, that jump out in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I remember as a high schooler, I would go into the city I would go to hear the Vanguard band on Monday nights um, with my teacher. And that was just a firsthand, you know, lesson in, in big band playing, just watching and listening. And so I think um, I'm not even really sure how we got reconnected. I had, I had met Dick Oates way back then and we, we, we did not, you know, really keep in touch, but in the last couple of years, we, we became reconnected and, he started bringing me in to sub with the band. And so that was sort of a, a really nice full circle moment. Um, and to connect with him again was great. He's been very supportive. Um, Winton, of course, has um, brought me along and, and helped me in, in many, many, many ways. And yeah, I mean, there are so many people. Lauren Sevian, actually, I met her when I was a student at Litchfield and she was a, like one of the younger teaching artists and we reconnected through diva actually, and then hit it off and decided to co-lead a quintet together. And we've become very, very, very close friends. Um, so yeah, there are just really, really amazing people. I feel very, very fortunate, very lucky uh, to have kept those relationships going over the years. One more break to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with you, the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. Hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the jazz session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the jazz session. Take a second right now to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to keep up to date with my podcast, my poetry, my van travels, and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. And now, back to the episode. Because this is the first time you've been on the show, I've been kind of trying to cover a lot of ground as opposed to just sticking um, on to Firefly. But I do want to return to Firefly now. You you mentioned that you were journaling a lot, keeping a lot of notes um, during the time that you were writing this music. And I'm always curious when when an idea for an album starts with something as concrete as yours did. I mean, even though it's it's kind of general, but here's what a day looks like. How does that how do you go about translating that into notes on a page? Here's my experience. Here's my journal entry. Here's what happened to me today. And now I have this sheet of staff paper. How am I going to get from one to the other? Can you talk a little bit about that process? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I basically, I, I, it was a lot of just writing like words at first, just like I said, like the journaling and then kind of, okay, like, let's look at a day. Let's zoom in on a day. What are the different points? Like, what are the different emotions sort of what, you know, and, and so how many kind of movements am I looking at? And once I narrowed that down, um, then I kind of gave them each like a title and different buzzwords. And so that's sort of what started the musical process. Um, And so I kind of sat down at the piano and I didn't necessarily go in order. I think the first one that I wrote was Violet Sky, which is the evening uh, movement. And I had an idea just from... I just sort of was like picturing myself, like, you know, sitting and watching the sunset after like a, a long day or, or whatever. And so I just was messing with some harmonies and different uh, bass lines and things like that. And the, the colors that I wanted through the movement just kind of came to life. And so I slowly chipped away at that. Um, and then that sort of informed what was going to come before and after it, like what type of a vibe did I want to contrast that either before or after. So each piece kind of helped to fill in what was, what was coming next or what was, what it was coming from. When I first was uh, reading about the thematic idea of this record, um, my mind immediately went to one of my favorite albums growing up, um, which is days of future past by the moody blues, which is a really explicit, following of a day i mean and they also have lyrics so they're literally talking about mm-hmm. you know the very the various times of the day and it is it's incredibly <laughs> programmatic i mean it i think it's brilliant a uh, brilliant album but it is there's no question that you know this is the section and this is exactly what we intended and this is what we want you to think um whereas with this i feel like it these these parts of the day or this thematic concept is more hinted at than explicitly delivered like you don't you don't have to feel any particular way you can your emotions can run with the music and whatever you get out of it can be what you get out of it as opposed to some you know much more kind of explicit sense of here's exactly what i want it feels a little more abstract to me which i which i enjoy in a wholly different way from the moody blues and i'm going to say that i'll be the only person ever in your career who goes on an extended moody blues comparison (laughs) while interviewing you and i'll bring it to a close now but just to say that i really like you both ways of approaching it and yours is markedly different it is much more allowing the listener to kind of fall into whatever space they're in which i appreciate thank you yeah that's that's amazing um yeah the i I guess the, the interesting like the idea was that i also wanted to be able to play these as standalone pieces like just in my band's repertoire so I have, I do have an idea like later on, you know, when, when life opens back up to kind of expand the suite into a little bit of a multimedia experience with some visuals and lighting and a a, a spoken narrative. And that's kind of like an experience, but I, I also wanted each of the pieces just to, to just feel like a, a composition that didn't, they didn't, that it didn't necessarily, you know, depend on being presented in, in the full uh, suite. But, and I think that also is part of the reason why on the record, you know, we kind of broke it up with different pieces in between. Um, So it doesn't feel like, you know, you're kind of sitting there through a 60 minute thing, (laughs) you know, you're able to, you're able to transition from different in and out of different moods, which is, yeah, that was the goal. 
Well, the possible addition of multimedia makes me less embarrassed about the Moody Blues comparison because now all of a sudden it sounds much more like <laughs> what I was describing. I know. Where <laughs> yeah. We'll have a beautiful psychedelic experience while uh, watching the band yeah. play this, this album. Exactly. <laughs> it can go either way. Yeah, two, two, option A or option B. <laughs> I like it. I like it. part of as we're recording kind of in the part of the pandemic where you know it's been about a year and vaccines are starting to get out there there is some feeling of hope on the horizon i think um I, you know i i tend to be on the uh, skeptical side but i am hopeful and i wonder what you looking ahead at what the next you know year or so might look like for you uh, of course you don't have a crystal ball but do you have any idea what what it might bring, how it might change, or how you hope it will develop as things perhaps get better in terms of our ability to all be together? Yeah. Um, well, I can say, you know, a couple things are starting to come in, which is, which is nice. It's a little bit anxiety provoking just because it's like, it's just like you said, like, okay, you know, what's, what's really going on out there. And um, it's just been so long since you've, I've really considered like actually being anywhere, <laughs> but um, it's, that is nice that a couple of things are kind of uh, cautiously and optimistic um, with that. I honestly don't, I don't think that it's truly going to feel like it's going to go back to normal until, you know, we're through the summer and, and into the fall, maybe even like later uh, than that. Just because when you think about it, all these bookings and things, I mean, before people, venues and organizations were booking a year in advance and uh, like records and tours. So I, I feel like I'm personally, you know, just hoping that I can get some action with Firefly to play the music somewhere because I know I'm going to want to make my next record like I usually do in the fall, you know. So just like trying to keep things moving. Um is going to be interesting. I think we're still going to be figuring out like ways to present stuff probably for another year and, and let the, the, I guess the scene and the venues kind of come back to life slowly. Yeah. It's such an interesting period. Uh, I mean, in jazz and elsewhere. Um, I mean, for example, I don't know why this came to mind, I guess, cause I was listening to it this morning, but um, during the lockdown, Haley Williams from Paramore has released two solo albums and, you know, has played a total of zero shows. And I was thinking like what that, you know, even like 
bands that tour, you know, like arena sized bands and things like that, they that have released records. This is almost like the lost period, you know, where all this new music came out, but nobody got to go see it live. And then all of these bands, just like you just described, are going to want to do the next thing, you know, not not necessarily in 2022 being uh, playing the music they released in 2020. Uh, so it is a really interesting period where maybe there's a bunch of stuff we just won't see live or we'll see little bits of it live worked into other music. But it's almost like we this little year is kind of in a, you know, encased in a museum exhibit or something. And who knows how much of it we'll ever get to see in person. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I agree because people aren't going to want to go. You know, people just want to move forward, I think. Yeah, absolutely. My guest for this episode has been Alexa Tarantino. The new record on Positone is called Firefly. It's uh, it's really great. It's very much worth your time. And uh, while you're listening to that, go back and listen uh, to Clarity and Winds of Change as well. Alexa, it's been great to have you on the show. I have a feeling this will not be the last time. So thanks for coming on, and I look forward to uh, talking to you again. Thanks so much, Jason. Thanks for playing Firefly, and hope to see you soon. Thanks to this week's guest, Alexa Tarantino. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Next week's guest is Roxana Ahmed, so come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.